we are looking at verses 18 to 21. Verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for this is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Father, help me to... uh, Share the wonder of this text, this book. So, Father, I pray that now your spirit and your people will begin preparing the soil so it may bear much fruit. Lord, we are in the passion season, that time that we call to remembrance what was given for us. So, Father, I pray as we look at this, the idea of being spirit-filled would overwhelm us. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. In Christ's precious name, amen. Well, being that I haven't been here for a couple of weeks, I thought I would uh, kind of try to bring everything back together. I am dealing with a section called To Be Spirit-Filled. I've shared it with you before. Gosh, I'd have given anything if at my salvation someone would have explained this to me because I'm pretty sure it would have saved me numerous miles of heartache. But I remember this text, especially in the book of Ephesians. Paul gives us two prayers. First prayer is in chapter 1, 16 to 21. I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and a knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness and of the power towards us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which brought about in Christ which... He raised him from the dead, seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in the age, but in the one to come. Okay, now he prays that, that you would have knowledge and I would have knowledge, because he, in the first 17 verses, gives you about as much probably more theology than people ever get. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly. He has chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us as adoption, as sons through Jesus Christ himself, according to his kind intentions. It was to the praise of his grace. He freely bestowed on us his beloved, through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. He lavished on us all wisdom and insight. He's made known to us the mystery of his will, according to him, his kind intentions. He purposed in him the view of the administration, suitable to the fullness of time. Summing up of all things, we have attained an inheritance. We have been predestined 
according to his purpose. That's pretty thick. That is pretty thick. People ask, when were you saved? Before the foundations of the earth. When you heard sang the song, were you there? You know what you can say? Yes, I was. I was known intimately by him before he spoke existence into being. That's why Paul says, you know, I need to pray that you get this. Because that tells me who I am as a Christian. One of the things that is missing in the body of Christ right now is that. You know, they, uh, well, the pastor, he's got the red phone, or, you know, the deacon does this, or an elder does this, or, no. It's all of us. It doesn't say pastors go and make disciples of all nations, does it? Doesn't say Sunday school teachers. It's everybody. So it's our responsibility with this wisdom and insight that's already been given to us that we, through prayer and the Word of God, help that I may know. The second prayer is chapter 3, verse 14 and following. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from every family in heaven on earth that drives its name, that He would grant to you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man. Remember what we're looking at? Be filled with the Spirit. Or, here, strengthened with power through His Spirit. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, will comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. You know, that phrase always just, it just kind of freaks me out. To know that can't be known. But He's already prayed for me that I would see it and know it. To him is able to do far more abundantly beyond what we can ask or think, according to the power that works in him. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus for all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's what he prays before he says, therefore, in chapter 4, verse 1, I, a prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy. How? Being strengthened in the inner man that I may know the love that surpasses knowledge. Christ may be at home in my life and that the fullness of God will dwell with me and will do exceedingly abundantly on what I could think or ask. Cool. Which brought us into chapter 5. And the key is verse 18. Do not be drunk with wine. If you are drunk with wine, what is in control of you? For that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay, if he's contrasting those two, if I'm filled with the Spirit, what is in control of me? We're getting good. I showed you what the meaning and the means was. The Spirit is going to do it. And the meaning is, be filled with the Spirit is like what you do with a sail on a ship. He fills it with air and it drives it in the direction of the wind. Follow the Spirit. Then we've been looking at the consequences. We see that the consequences of being spirit-filled will first and foremost affect me, the individual, self. And it will put a joy in our hearts. And we will sing a melody. We will sing praises. We will sing a new song. 
a new song of Moses to one another, to others. But they are all pointed toward who? To God. But to God, because I'm spirit-filled, I will give thanks in what? All things. You know what all things are? All things. Okay? It's just like the movie, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Be thankful. Be thankful. And then we're moving in to verse 21. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Okay, this will be to believers and more. But you've got to understand the filling and the control of the Holy Spirit. Listen, if you are filled with the Spirit, it is so obvious these days. Okay, you know how I know? If you are filled with the Spirit, what is the first thing that you will see? He told you in chapter 4. Remember? What was the first thing in verse 2? All humility. That is not normal to man. That is not of his nature. If you are Spirit-filled, you will be humble. You know what humble means? That when you're in a discussion with somebody... And you're right, but they want to argue, you lay it down. Because if they want to argue with you, and you have a biblical truth on your side, that person is not teachable. So you lay it down. That's humility. I don't have to make you believe anything. God does that. A true Christian spirit-filled. You know one of the things that's amazing about it? We'll never, ever, ever have an argument. Even when they're right. Because in humility, they realize that God has not opened their eyes to see it. The spirit that gives us the desire to seek the better of others. I'll give you a text. Philippians. I like Philippians. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ. Okay, if God is doing anything in you that would encourage me. That's what Paul's saying. Right? If there's any consolation of love. If there's any fellowship in the Spirit. If any affection and compassion make my joy complete. Think about that. Would you like to make your pastor's joy complete? (laughs) I got people shaking their head. No. (laughs) Well, all right. I'll go on to my next one. By being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, United in the Spirit, intent on one purpose. Okay, I like that. I confuse so easily, so I only have to look at one purpose. What is it? Verse 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but in humility of mind regard one another as more important 
than yourself. Do not. Now, see, we can say, well, that's where I do it. Well, then read verse four. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interests of others. See that? I'm more concerned about others than I am myself. You know what that, you, the only one way you pull that off, it's humility. It's humility. Chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. Yeah. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Where do you get a gentle spirit from? Pride produces that, huh? It can only be done through humility. And it can only be done through humility when you are spirit-filled. I mean, I can take and show you this whole thing. This is Christ. You want to know what my song is? My song is thanksgiving to God for Jesus Christ. I sing it to others. How did Christ treat others? Oh, he came to serve. His is the ultimate example of submission. Makes him the ultimate example of humility. Think about it. I spoke existence into being, but I am here to serve. That is that, back to Ephesians 5, that is what verse 21 is. Now, you're going to have to bear with me on this. I was going to try to do this in one sitting. As I started pulling everything together, we would be here until Easter. But I would get it covered. The statement in verse 21 is defined in the rest of chapter 5 all the way up to chapter 6, verse 9. Okay? He makes a generalized statement in verse 21. And then he says, they're not going to get it. So I'm going to show them what this thing looks like. This verse is a transition. It deals with the depth of relationships. What relationships? Well, be subject to one another. That means that submission is mutual. But if you look at the foundations of existence, and I don't care in the animal kingdom, I don't care what it is, there is a foundation that is authority and submission through everything. Through everything. And from here to chapter 6, verse 9, he deals with relationships. He deals with relationships between a husband and a wife, or a wife and a husband. He deals with parents to children. He deals with masters and slaves. I was asked about submission to everybody. Yeah, everybody. What happens if you work for a non-believing boss? Submitted. I mean, you know, and everybody, there's a lot of pastors here in town says, well, Terry, you didn't submit when they said close the church. I said, 
do I submit to the authority of man or to the authority of Scripture? The Scripture tells me, do not forsake the assembly together. That's what it says. So I'm going to stand on Scripture. This passage, I mean, you could technically, I could put 21 in there, skip the rest of it until 6-9. But the Apostle Paul knows how we are. I want to deal with this, and I want to deal with it a little intensely because I'm watching stuff uh, that I would have never thought. There is an attack in culture on the family. Okay? You, gosh, do I dare deal with this? There is an organization that is out there who originally posted on their website that part of their what they were wanting to do was remove the nuclear family. You know what I call that? The traditional family. They don't want to have a traditional family. Okay? And this thing is increasing. Think about today in our society. How? What about marital infidelity? That's really vague. It doesn't ever happen, right? It's rampant. We have exalted sexual sin. Yeah, I got another feather in my hat, whatever you want to call it. You know what you're doing when you do that? You're attacking the family unit that God created. Do I even mention homosexuality? How about abortion? That doesn't affect family, does it? I grew up and was part of pushing this. I thought it was kind of a good idea at the time. Women's lib. Okay. I, my generation, was, uh, I don't know if we were the front door or the porch for the sexual revolution. And yet all of these things are destroying the family. And they are destroying marriages. Gays and lesbians demanding the right to be married. So they gave them the right. But you know what? They broke the law in doing it. The courts do not pass laws. That never went through the legislative process of this country. And yet we all sit there and smile. Okay, yeah, they should get married. Well, the only people that got happy about it are divorce lawyers. We got new clients. I have heard of gay couples mating in a heterosexual way so that it can have a family. Plato, I have to agree with. That's just not natural. Think about this for a second. How many single parent families do you see today versus... 15 years ago. They're destroying the family. I know some who go and have children 
but refuse to marry, don't want to live together, but I want to have a family. There are many, and it's a growing number, believe that marriage should be completely abolished, made illegal. You know, man, we're 2021. We don't need these goofy boundaries. Sex is nothing more than a physical activity. That's a lie. That's a lie from the pit of hell. If you think that you can go have sex and it not scar your soul, you're a fool. And let me tell you something. I know that from experience as well as Scripture. Man has come of age. He doesn't need those restrictive things. What's the basis of the relationship? See, I deal with a lot of unbelievers. I deal with some really hurting believers. And it's the same. The people are looking. They're trying any little thing, anything, to try to make my relationships better. And what they're doing is they're experimenting with this stuff and it destroys the family. Marriage that is meaningful, a marriage that is happy, a marriage that is blessed, a marriage that is rewarding, a marriage that is fulfilling is only in God's standard. Today's, in the church, God's standard has been confused. I look in the last 25 to 30 years. In the last 30 years, let me ask you a question. 30 years ago, how often did you hear of divorce in the church? Okay. Think about in church today. In this small congregation, there's a bunch of us have divorced. I remember going to Russia. First trip I went to Russia, I had gone down to Oriel. And Oriel is a city of about about the size of Colorado Springs, about 250,000, maybe 300,000. And so I was meeting with all these pastors. And I took the district pastor and I sat in there and I said, what's your divorce rate in the church? And he looked at me like I'd fallen off the planet. And I said, well, how many people? He said, we don't have divorce in the church. I said, none. No. The Bible says don't marry an unbeliever. We don't allow it. Secondly, if there's a problem in a married couple, believers, and you miss one or two Sundays and you don't come together and we hear of it, the elders go to that house and stay until it's resolved. Well, there you go. Talk about marital counseling. But if you look at the church today, the divorce rate in the church and single parents in the church is the same as the world. And there's serious damage to families when you do that. The marriage 
relationship, many people want to fix it. So they've come up with this conclusion. This is how I'll fix it because a marriage relationship is so difficult. We'll live together. Okay, it's easier. And you know what? If that relationship don't work, I'll move on. You know what it is? And uh, you may disagree with me, uh, but I'll set you down and tell you about Terry Ball's life. Lust has replaced love. There is no sacrifice. Selfishness rules instead of sacrifice. This text says subject to one another. And all the men know the next verse, don't they? Honey, submit to me. Now I read the next verse in front of it. The mentality about the family and marriage is disgusting. I tell people, I've dealt with people who are trying to divorce or went and divorced. And I tell them, I said, let me tell you something, what divorce is. Divorce is like the death of the other one. But you don't get to put the body away. When your spouse dies, you put the body away. In divorce, you keep bumping into it. It don't go away. And I don't care who you are. I don't care how brave you think you are. It will scar your soul. Now, I know I've got divorced people in here. I'm not trying to hurt you. That ain't what I'm saying. But I think if you talk to the divorced people in here, they will tell you, yep, it left a mark. It left a mark. You cannot have sex out of a godly marriage and it not leave a mark. And it's not a good mark. It's a damaged mark. Well, something I was noticing as I traveled. I was in New Mexico and Arizona and Colorado. And I've seen it around here. Does anyone discipline their children anymore? Dude, I see some people with their kids. If that had been me, I'd have been knocked into a month of Sundays. Family and marriage. Uh, one of the things that's hard, and you know, I was, yeah, I've, I'm always nervous when I preach. And I've shared this with you guys before because I'm speaking on behalf of God. And anybody can do that with confidence is a fool. I do it scared and say, Lord, use your foolish servant. But when it comes to dealing with family and kids, what I've learned is, is everybody has their own opinion. Huh? Have you ever seen? I, I see, I've witnessed. I bear witness. I bear testimony to this. When someone approaches a family with their kids and tries to instruct them on what to do with their kids. You ever seen that? Whoa! Run! Because they may hate their kids until you bring it up. And then they hate you. And what I'm seeing is that 
in the church now. There is no basis of authority in the family or in the marriage. People are seeking to make meaning of human relationships. We were created for relationships. And yet, I don't know how you have an authority for a relationship when I look at a society that is destroying itself. Our society right now is destroying itself. No, I'm not talking about liberals and conservatives. That ain't what I'm talking about. The divine pattern that God designed for marriage and the family, we have jettisoned. You know what? And the saints should be reminded that the, that there is a standard of living in the covenant of marriage. I have not done very many weddings in this church. I've been at this uh, 27 years in June, something like that. I've done five, five weddings. Why? I can't get people to understand this is a covenant before a holy God that death shall separate. Are you willing to step into that? Remember, you got two blind, naked, and depraved people who are going to be one. You know what that means? You got your work cut out for you, buddy. God has a divine standard. And it will make the marriage and the family what it is supposed to be. Listen, history. And I can go back to the Roman Empire. I can go back to the Egyptian Empire. Proves over and over as the family goes, the society will go. Rome collapsed. I've got a book on Roman law. It's an interesting read. I got it years ago because I was looking at the crucifixion, how you do it. <laughs> I guess I'm kind of weird that way. But it has other things in there. Okay? Men. When a child is born under Roman law, they would bring the child to the father. And if the father didn't like it, he'd do the thumb down and it was thrown out on the garbage pit. Okay, and that was legal. Not only that, any time in that child's life, if that father believed that child did something to dishonor the family name, then the child was executed. That's why when you read in the New Testament adoptions, that law is void. If you adopt the child, you're stuck with it. That was Roman law. You know what else it said? The man would marry for a broodmare, a good family lineage, good looks, and that would produce my children. But I'm allowed to have as many women on the side as I want. And the wife said, sure. And you wonder why Rome fell? Same thing happened in Egypt, and we won't even get into Greece. Okay? Tell me what's the difference between that and America. Now, to ask yourself this question, how much of that has creeped into 
the church. I got in trouble several times. People were getting married. They wanted me to do their wedding. I take that very, it's a great honor for me. It's a great honor. It's an amazing honor. But I wouldn't marry him to an unbeliever. I can't. I took an oath before my king. I can't do that. Look, in Colorado, you can go take your vows in front of a microwave. Just go do that. And people say, well, how can you? Because it won't work. You're never going to be satisfied. You can't serve two masters. And I guarantee you, the one that's serving the world will drag the spiritual one into the gutter. When I see this, and I understand that the family unit is the basic building block of human society. And when it goes down, the society goes down. You lose the ability to pass on any meaningful communications to the next generation. Look at us today. What are we passing on to the next generation? Right? I mean, kids look at you. Dad, you don't even know how to set the clock on the VCR. I know. What's a VCR? But they're not passing anything down. You know, I love my family. I've been back a couple of times, and you guys remember, and I, I see them. And all of my cousins and aunts and uncles are all within about... 35 or 40 miles from each other. It's totally awesome. They watch after everybody's grandkids and great-grandkids, and they have these goofy big old parties. There's a couple of you here in our congregation who have family around, and they're all there, and you all bellyache about them. You all tell them they're crazy. Put him back in the closet and let that one out and all the rest of it. But you know what? I grew up without my family. Okay, and I I can look back on it now and I can say 40 some odd years I've been in Colorado, I've been trying to find family. And, you know, it's the church's family. But you know what I'm talking about, blood family. I mean, even the goofy ones. Remember the goofy ones? Because I, yeah, I got some dandies. I told you my grandmother name's Hatfield. Do I need to go on? <laughs> okay. So these are things that I want you to think about because they passed on to me. I've got pictures. i got a picture in my office. It's up behind me. Okay. It's right after my son Joshua was born. I was sitting out on a, a little chair thing. Uh, and the lady was going to give me directions on where the nursery was. So I'm holding him like this. And I'm like... Man, can you believe? Right next to it is a picture of an old Marine holding up his first male born. That was passed on. But see, I even got cheated out of that. My dad died when I was 14. But I don't, we don't, we're not passing on to the next generation. 
Listen, generation, the younger generation, listen to the old people. You'll save yourself some scars and heartache and maybe even keep from scarring your soul. There's no common ground for communications. Discipline. See, discipline forces acceptance. Our society becomes an end unto itself, and that's what you're seeing play out on CNN and Fox News and all the rest of it. And then there's no common ground for communication. You know what that means? The loudest, most vocal will dominate. Now tell me I'm wrong on that. But we know the divine pattern and to make the family meaningful, to make the marriage meaningful, to give security to humanity. It's done by God. Okay, I have a presupposition. You have to be a Christian. You try to tell this to lost people. You need to wake up. It's 2021. Ephesians was written to who? Believers. If you are not a Christian, there is very little hope that you can make your marriage and family anything near what God created it for. What God intended it to be. I know. That seems like a pretty strong statement. You're telling me that lost can't have a meaningful relationship? Oh, yeah. To a point. To a point. But the total fulfillment that God created in marriage and family will never be known by an individual. We'll only find fulfillment in a relationship with God. Individually, right? Listen, when I was 21, about 19 to 22, I... Had a condo, I had a Corvette, I was making a little over between five hundred and seven hundred thousand dollars a year cash. I was taught how to use it without the IRS saying, What are you doing? Okay, I had everything that the world had to offer, and you know what? It never ever satisfied me. I always wanted more. I need a faster car. This car don't have a new car smell. I need to go get me a new car smell car. And I had to keep chasing it down, chasing it down. And then you had to play games because, you know, I had too much money for what I was doing. My job was 15 hours a week at Sears and Roebuck, and you have much? So there was a game you played. But at that age, you're like, I'm playing games. But I was never, ever satisfied. And you know what? I was never free. Because I can sit and say, hey, I was playing games. You know what that means? I was chained. I came to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I've never known a freedom. I don't make any money right now. Okay? I mean, the reason I got a house is we got it in the 80s. But I have a freedom now. I can't even explain it to you. And the reason is, as an individual, I have a relationship with the creator of me. 
You will only find fulfillment in a relationship with God. Period. Remember, we were created in His image. You know what that means? He knows how it works in perfection. So, with that presupposition, a family will only find fulfillment in a relationship that is defined by God. Got it? Apart from knowing Jesus Christ, we can't expect the family to be anything significant. I can look at my family now, my di- the ones on the other side of the Mississippi. I can look at them, and the ones who are believers, there's a dynamic there that are different than the ones who are non-believers. It's really weird. I mean, you, you can spot it. Now, part of it, they say, well, you're just away all the time, and you just come back. Whatever. But I see the difference in the dynamic. Apart from knowing Jesus Christ, you can't expect anything of any significance. Not only that, you will have discourse the whole time. The real standard for a happy family, meet the ones who are totally committed to Christ Jesus. Find those people and hook your wagon to them. I don't want to, I'm not talking about those people. I'm a believer. Want to get a beer? I'm not talking about them people. Listen, I have had the privilege of running into three men who, uh, let's see. Well, Wayne wasn't. Yeah, Wayne was second generation. Two of them were third generation preachers and the other one was second generation preacher. You know what I found out about them talking to them? They tell me, look me in the eye and said, in my house, no one ever raised their voice. What? Are you deaf? (laughs) You didn't have to. Why? The children honored the parents. Why do I have to raise my voice if my children honor me? There was never discourse between the husband and the wife. Why? They were filled with the Spirit. They were committed to the things of Jesus Christ. Now think about that. Never an argument in the home? I thought that's where you were supposed to do it. But you see how that in generationals? I, the one guy, Wayne's son, <laughs> Stephen, God, I love him. He's got too many kids already. And I mean, he's, I don't think he's 35. Maybe. And I listened to him and he sounds so much like his mother and father that it's just like, like that. And his, his wife, uh, he goes and he counsels with all these people. He's got a flourishing, what is it? Young and enthusiastic church. And he does all of this. And then he goes home and he plays baseball with his kids. And he does. And I'm sitting there going, you're nuts, kid. But then I remember Wayne and I said, no, that's what it does. You know, I taught my kid how to fish. I taught him how to hunt, how to clean it. If you happen to find. Okay. And you just look at it and you go, wow, man. And uh, Dr. MacArthur, never. I was talking to his son, his oldest son. He says, no. He says, I don't ever remember disagreement, an argument. You're like, find them people and hook your wagon to that. Gee, many crickets. Why? They are committed to what the Word of God says. 
in Russia. If you're getting, not getting along, they come and live with you. Incentive. Only when you know and love the Lord Jesus Christ will you ever have within you the desires to fulfill His standard. I know a bunch of you right now are playing games with it. Yeah, I know what it says. It's all right. Never work. Never work. Nobody gets up in the morning and says, well, let's see, it's Tuesday, 9 o'clock in the morning. I think I'll go send my brains out until about 1 o'clock, and then I'll repent, and we'll be back into the good graces of God by 3. Well, if you're doing that, come meet me after this. But nobody does that. Sin is subtle. It doesn't work. Hey, uh, you want to fall? Apart from knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no reason you have to live or love like Christ lived and loves. You don't have a reason. Why? Because I think this would be better. I'll get a bigger house, a smaller house. I'll get carpeting. I'll get wood floors. I'll get this. I'll get that. And we'll all be happy. No, you won't. No, you won't. So the first thing, presupposition, you have to be a believer. Okay, that's what the first three chapters were. To be a believer. Your position must be where? In Christ. Amen. We all got that? Okay, everybody a believer? Right? (laughs) He might have a trick question up there. I don't know. It's just like the song, glory, glory. There are a lot of Christians in this room who know and love the Lord Jesus Christ. But how many are not living according to him? Are you living according to his guidance? Are you living according to his leadership? Are you living according to his moral law? Are you living according to his marital law? Are you living according to his family law? Are you filled with the Spirit? Because that's the only way it gets done. Listen, it is one thing to possess the Spirit of the living God. Romans 8, right? You do not have the Spirit. You're not His. I've never understood why people struggle with that. Well, what does that mean? If you don't have the Spirit, you're not His. Okay? But it's one thing to be a believer. And this is the thing that I complain about. It's that second one. 518. Be filled with the Spirit. You can be a believer and not filled with the Spirit. Did you know that? That's a lot of my Christian life. I wasn't filled with the Spirit. I didn't know anything about it. I knew I had the Holy Spirit. If I sealed with the Holy Spirit, I'm His. Yahoo! Right? Remember, every Christian possesses the Holy Spirit. I want to reiterate this for you. 
Romans 8, verse 9. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Seems kind of straightforward to me. Verse 8 says, Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Okay? So, we have problems in the church. We have problems in families in the church. And we have marital problems in the church. And it might even be in this church. Eh? I've seen people in the church who are Christian slugging it out worse than the world does. The church has families right now who are more miserable than the families in the world. You know what? I just had this conversation. Do you know Mormons do a better job in a human way of making a family work than most evangelicals? When I was in construction, I did some basement remodeling for a house of Mormons up in uh, Burning Tree. And uh, we were remodeling. They had about 4,000 kids, and I was putting like 3,000 bedrooms in the basement and a bathroom. And I remember going through, I was pulling some wire for an intercom system. Anyway, and they had all of these buckets of grain and clothes folded up and material to make clothes and all the rest of it. And, and I mean, you can't believe. I mean, you're just sitting there going, gee. Because you see these five-gallon buckets, and you're like, I'll pop it open. I was like, man, that looks like corn. But anyway, close it back up because I don't want to act like I'm nosy. But I would work till 5, 5.30, and I'd get ready to go, and the family would be gathered up in this great big huge, uh, we used to call them formal dining rooms. But it was a great big dining room. And they're all around the table. All the kids, mom, dad, doing a Bible study. And I started noticing it. Every day, they did a Bible study. You know what was fascinating to me? Every day, a different kid led it. And I'm sitting there going, oh, man, you guys take this thing seriously, don't you? And they don't have Christ, but we do. Now, I'm not saying, okay, from now on, we're going to have a Bible study at 5 o'clock. That ain't what I'm saying. I'm saying they're passing on to the next generation the truths of God and the ways of God and that they are important. They've got to be important. If they're not important to the father, they will not be to the wife. If they're not important to the father and to the wife, guess what? Kids ain't going to see it. Listen, your kids live with you. They know what is important to you. And it's all because we are simply not controlled by the Spirit in our family. Carnal believer will have discourse in his family. Did you know that? 
I've seen it. I've seen it a whole bunch. I've seen it way more than the other way. But you know what I've learned? That when there's discourse in the family, there'll be discourse in the hearts of the believers. Because there will be discourse between that believer and God. To be a Christian is the starting point. But to be controlled with the Spirit is when you will learn how to be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And let me tell you something. The family unit right now is under assault in ways that I can't, I'd never imagine. I mean, I grew up with free love and all of this other, hey, we're going to have a good time. Okay? And it was crazy. I mean, it was just flat out crazy. But I had no idea it was going to go this way. And it is our responsibility. It's my responsibility to show you what a spirit-filled life is. What is it to be controlled by God? Because most of the time when you hear that, people think, well, but I won't be able to go water skiing. Gee, many crickets. How am I going to have fun if I'm spirit controlled? I got news for you. I have more fun spirit controlled. Except when I had that crab salad in Zeminka. That was a a different spirit. Okay? I share this, and it may be touchy. I know we've got divorced people here. That's fine. Put a little post on my Facebook thing. Had this motorcycle on there. It says, motorcycles do not have reverse because you don't live going backwards. Okay? His grace is sufficient. Okay? We make Anybody here make mistakes? Amen. Very good. I finally got an amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> not really on the right topic, but we'll take it. Okay? Here's the thing, we are forgiven. Now let us press forward to the upward calling of Jesus Christ. Let us walk worthy in humility, filled with the Spirit and the joy of our salvation ringing in our hearts. And we say, when God points out something to us, we say, Amen and Amen. Okay? So that's just the start of being subject to one another. I can tell everybody, when will you finish? I'll be back in a month. Love you guys. Let's pray. Father, uh, we come now because uh, you bought and paid for us, the precious blood of Jesus. We are yours. We are not our own. So Lord, I ask that... uh, we be spirit-filled individually and collectively. We do it in all humility. We give thanks in all things. And Father, we be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Father, as a brother in Christ, as a shepherd, I know I can't do anything to change anybody. So Father, I beseech your throne 
that your living spirit and your holy word do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we could ever think or ask. I love you, Lord. In Christ's name. Amen.